The Athletic. Jordan, you're a great professional, but tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, guys. This is the Red Agenda. We were hoping to be reflecting on a big European away performance against Real Madrid. Didn't turn out that way. But against the odds, can they put it right at Anfield? Well, Kiefer O'Neill, Simon Hughes and myself, Steve Hothersall, are here on the Red Agenda. We'll be talking about that. And we'll also be talking about uh, Liverpool's ownership and the injection of capital from Redbird Capital. Right, you can subscribe to The Athletic UK right now for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You're going to enjoy great analysis, in-depth features from the best football writers around, and you'll get ad-free versions of all the podcasts. So go to theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod. Take advantage of this 40% discount. That's theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review as well. We'd love it if you do that. So can Liverpool turn this one around at Anfield, trailing 3-1 to Real Madrid in the quarterfinals of the Champions League? Feels a, a tall order. Maybe not impossible, though, Kiva. Well, it, it feels a little bit impossible, doesn't it, right now? But, you know, we'll try and rally ourselves here because that Mohamed Salah goal, I think, gives everyone that little slice of hope. And that's exactly what Liverpool need going into that second leg. Because obviously there'll be no fans at Anfield, so there'll be no ability to sort of shock Real Madrid as Liverpool have done in the past against Barcelona and you know all those other famous nights. But yeah, just a truly shocking performance from Liverpool. That first half will go down in history as one of the worst ever from Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool side. I think they look scared, they look starstruck. I tweeted the team that had won a competition to play against Real Madrid. That's how bad they look. They got things going in the second half for like 10 minutes and that's when the goal came. Then after that, Madrid just bossed it, didn't they, pretty much? Uh, Tony Kroos in midfield and um, obviously Modric as well. You know, people talk about them as aging players and, you know, Madrid aren't the same superpower they used to be, but they've got something in the badge, which I think Liverpool do have as well, but he just didn't match up to them last night, did they? And Madrid just cruised through the game, uh, quite literally. And I think... Liverpool, in the end, I think, had more possession, which it didn't feel like, did it? Because they didn't do anything with the possession that they had. You know, to start Naby Keita, I think, in hindsight, was a, a massive mistake from Jürgen Klopp. You know, he hasn't really played that much since he came back from injury. I think maybe he played against Fulham, if I'm right in saying. To throw him into a big game like that, you can kind of see what Jürgen was trying to do in terms of, you know, press Real Madrid and win that battle in midfield to then go on you know, launching counter-attacks. But Madrid were just calm and, you know, Zidane had a plan and it, it come off for Real Madrid, didn't it? I think, you know, he did seem to sort of target Trent Alexander-Arnold a little bit and got the better of him on the night. I think that whole conversation around him now, it, it's not very nice, is it? Because it's up and down and I don't think probably the Arsenal game would have helped him or, or the players have probably set Liverpool up for a loss in a way because Arsenal aren't the best team to sort of play before and, and win 3-0 and, and feel really comfortable about, you know, Liverpool are back on track because, you know, as, as we've seen last night, that those problems that have sort of persisted all season are still kind of kind of there now. Yeah, yeah. On that on that point, Sai, do you do you feel we were almost lulled into a false sense of optimism 
ahead of this. Obviously, the Omens look good after beating Arsenal, but the reality is, you know, Champions League, you're stepping up to a different level. You're going to get punished for, you know, the slightest of errors, let alone a weak defence. Well, I think there's two things, really. I think when the draw was made, I think a lot of, it seemed that a lot of people assumed that Real Madrid would be an easy option, uh, one of the easier options, mainly because, obviously, you know, the, the team's an aging team and three years on from the Champions League final in Kiev, they haven't really sort of signed that stellar, those sorts of stellar names that they've, they've signed in the past. So sort of felt like, well, you know, they, they can't be any better than they were then. Liverpool have got all the experience that they've had since. So it would indicate that, that Liverpool would be favourites across the two tyres. And then obviously you get the two the two main centre-halves full injured. Well, one gets injured and the other one uh, falls down with COVID. And you would you would put Liverpool in the driving seat to win that game, but it's as, as Kiva sort of said, it still it still is Real Madrid. And then as well, I mean, I, I think that over the course of the last couple of weeks, obviously the, the two centre halves have, have done well for Liverpool, Kabak and, and Phillips. Now I'm not saying that they were the main problem last night. I think obviously that the problem was, was was in front of them, but I did sort of feel that when they met a, a big step up in class at some point in the Champions League, it might end up showing um, and I think it did last night I thought Benzema's movements was, was excellent I thought the pace of uh, Vinicius was 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 really eye-catching and then Asensio had, had a good game as well I just thought he got outmaneuvered in, in attack and then you know in midfield that was that was where the surprise was for me I, I thought in midfield they would get a bit closer to Real Madrid than certainly they did in Kiev because that was where Real Madrid won the, the, the final in Kiev for me I just thought the the sort of outmaneuvered Liverpool in that area, and then they did it again last night. So, when you've got sort of a, a defence which is still relative, well, still very inexperienced against top quality opponents with lots of experience, and then players like Vinicius who are desperate to prove themselves with the addition of the midfield, not neither pressing or able to keep the ball, you've just got no chance. And yeah, I, I think that a lot of the problems can be sort of trace back to, to the midfield's performance. I thought Fabinho had, had one of his worst games for Liverpool. Um, I think he's been brilliant since he's gone back there, but he had a bad night. And then the, the two players either side of him didn't perform to the levels that you'd expect. You know, the full-backs were wasteful in possession as well. Didn't didn't give the, the forwards a, a chance, really. So, on the basis of all that, you know, it was, it was a really, really bad night. But... You know, there's only a two-goal margin in it. Who knows? But I agree with Key, but I think that an empty Anfield is not the same as a as a full Anfield. I think that that's going to make it a lot more a lot more hard for Liverpool to get back into it. I'm sure Jurgen will share some of the blame himself with the team selection. You, you know, eyebrows raised in the sense that Thiago doesn't play, Naby's picked, Firmino's not involved there. No surprise that Jota played given his his recent form, but. I think Keeve, even Jurgen himself might look back at that and think, well, I got that wrong. It felt to me like he, he'd been overthinking it a little bit. You know, he, he probably thought, well, how can we help manoeuvre them, like Simon said, in, in midfield? Because that's obviously where, you know, is the stronghold for Madrid, particularly with obviously the centre halves not playing and Ramos and Varane. Um, but it, I don't know, it felt like. A decision, you know, looking back now, in hindsight, it's easy to say it was a mistake. It might have gone the way Liverpool and Jürgen Klopp and his staff had envisioned it. And Naby Keita might have had this best performance, but so it wasn't. And, you know, he, he got hooked on 
it was the 41st minute, which was quite telling um, that, you know, he just wasn't doing enough. And then Thiago came on and, and you know, add that little bit of something for those last few minutes, a little bit of, OK, maybe we can do something in the second half. Um, but I think it was probably a mistake to start Jota, to be honest, just because of the impact he gave at Arsenal coming off the bench. Now, this is a, a fellow we know who's been away with Portugal recently. He's, I think he scored three goals in two games to them. Then he come off the bench against Arsenal and, and scored two great goals. I think sometimes you don't want a player like that to, to be a super sub in a way. But right now, in, in this moment, you know, in the past game, he could have been used in that way. You know, he could have came off the bench and and added that little bit of impetus. And I feel like Liverpool massively missed out on not having Roberto Firmino up there to hold on to things and move things about a little bit. You know, his job sort of kind of gets overlooked and goes under the radar at times because he doesn't score as many goals as people think, you know, a forward should. But, you know, it, he's essential to what Salah and Mane are able to do on the wings, you know, and indeed the midfielders. He's like a springboard. They just give the ball to him and then he can sort of twist about and move things about and, you know, sharp little passes here and there. Liverpool massively missed that. I mean, whether... Klopp maybe in hindsight should have started all four of them and just gone for it in that way rather than put Cater into the midfield and think that that would be the way to do it. Um, but again, I think the problem with Liverpool that we've seen is persistence in the past few weeks, definitely since the turn of the year, is that obviously without Van Dijk and Gomez and you know the natural sort of first choice defenders, Liverpool are still playing the high line, which has proved costly in you know so many games. Chelsea loved it, didn't they? And, you know, you saw Madrid go, oh, you know, this is a good thing. Not only because they can get balls in behind, but because Liverpool aren't pressing with the intensity that you need to press with when you're holding a high line. And I think that's Liverpool's biggest problem at the minute. It's not personnel. It's not anything to do with that. Naby Keita could start at the weekend against Aston Villa and have a brilliant game. I don't doubt that. But, you know, it felt very much like sometimes whether you kind of think back and think, should Liverpool have, have reassessed how they play because they lost Van Dijk in a way? Would now, you know, less of a high line be something Liverpool would be benefiting from right now? But then that would alter how Jurgen Klopp works. And I think he was he was trying to tap into that heavy metal football. But I think, what did we get instead? It wasn't, wasn't musical, was it? No. T- Tony Kroos controlled the game, didn't he? And Liverpool didn't seem to have that energy that we expected of him. And, and the energy that perhaps Jürgen had, had said would be there. When you're looking at players side like Gini Wijnaldum or Andy Robertson, they played over 50 games this season. Are we finally starting to see that become more evident, do you think? I can understand the arguments. I mean, if, if you look across the, I think, you know, three-season periods, four-season periods, uh, there's a certain number of players who played a ridiculously high number of games. And when you throw into the context of, of this season and, so to the very different challenges that this season's posed, it would be understandable if, if some of the players are sort of losing that little bit of energy. But I, I honestly didn't see that sort of lethargy coming after watching the, the performance against Arsenal on, on Saturday. I thought it was a controlled performance against Arsenal. It was a lot more, a lot more convincing. Liverpool sort of played with a bit of authority and, and were worthy winners and could, could have won by more, I thought. And were, were really... Decent defensively as well. I mean, I, I understand, you know, Arsenal are different propositions around Madrid, but but yeah, I, I was just I was just really shocked by sort of the way that they, they, they just struggled to retain possession because I didn't really 
sense that it was a, a case of Real Madrid chasing after them and, and going after them. It was just it was just carelessness. I think Andy Robertson gave an interview after the yeah, well, Andy Robertson gave an interview afterwards and said it wasn't good enough, particularly the first 15 minutes. And I, I mean, I think I've said before, but you can always tell what sort of Liverpool performance is going to be after the first three or four or five minutes. Sometimes, you know, a couple of misplaced passes here and there. And um, usually what follows isn't good um, when that happens. And unfortunately, that was the case last night. Absolutely. On that energy aspect, what do you think, Kiva? Are we seeing the the effects catch up on on Liverpool now? And it's not just a couple of players that I mentioned, Genie or, or Andy Robertson. Look at Sadio Mane. He's, he's struggled, hasn't he? After a bright couple of weeks to start the season, he's been nowhere near his levels. Yeah, and I think you do have to sort of then think, well, why? And the main reason would be that they've played about a million games in the past three seasons. Um, and obviously this season, there was no sort of pause, was that it was kind of just straight back into pre-season and then obviously into the season itself. And um, I don't know, they're just looking a little bit lax, aren't they, lately? And, and not like like they need a break, but obviously we just had a bit of an international break, but most of them went off to, to the various uh, countries that need to play. So that wasn't quite what Jürgen Klopp probably wanted. But I think when you do look at the minutes, it is, it's incredible, really, when you look. I think you mentioned there, Ronaldo and Robertson, the front three, they've, they've barely missed minutes in the past, since well, since they joined Liverpool. They've pretty much been in the starting eleven, all of them. And, you know, that will take its toll. But then again, you know, they are professionals. They have got the best facilities, the best equipment. They've got people monitoring everything about the bodies, the diet. So, you know, sometimes it's kind of like maybe they should just be performing at that level. But we know ourselves as well that, you know, you, you can't just... You can't just keep going sometimes when, you know, something doesn't feel right or you're just overdoing it. Um, and it feels like that way for a few players this season and not just at Liverpool, I think across the board, across Europe, across, you know, other leagues as well. And I think um, not having the fans there, Mane is a, is a player, I think, who thrives off, you know, taking people on the wing and knowing that there's, there's people watching him. I feel like he's one of those players um, who really does thrive off that and not to have that even in Madrid last night, I think, you know, Klopp mentioned after the game and people have been saying, you know, all, you know, excuses and stuff, but being played at the, the Real Madrid training ground probably didn't help in the fact that Real Madrid spend all of their time there and that's a comfortable place for them. And, you know, I do think that maybe Liverpool didn't quite switch on. Uh, the Bernabeu would have, obviously, you know, you're looking up, aren't you? Because it goes on forever. Even without fans, you know, you would be there going, wow, I'm playing here, you know, and I think that would give them another level. But I don't know, it's it's just a tricky one with Liverpool at the minute. And I do kind of feel like, you know, we, we spoke about the team selection, but is there a, a bit of a question mark over Ginny Wijnaldum as captain? I just don't think he had that. He gave a few passes away. He didn't have that kind of like, we know why he got voted, didn't he, as one of the extra captains, him and Van Dijk behind, obviously, Henderson and Milner. We know what he adds to the team, but, you know, with everything that's going on with this situation at the moment, maybe his eyes are looking away from Liverpool. We know that. And, you know, for, I don't think he put in the performance of a captain. You know, he was the first to come out on social media and say, you know, it's not over till it's over. And, you know, that, that's good for him to, to have spoken out. And I think he faced the press, didn't he, straight away, obviously, as the captain. But I don't know if his performance was befitting of a captain, but then Liverpool's performance as a whole wasn't befitting of Liverpool, was it? And I just kind of think, would James Milner have been 
the kind of player that you put in that. Because Klopp, once upon a time, used to always go for that midfield, didn't he? Of obviously Henderson, Milner and, and Wijnaldum for, for games like even like that. And, you know, that would shock people. But I don't know, Milner at the weekend, obviously playing against Arsenal, then do you, he's getting a bit older, you've got to manage him now. But I think he would have gave us all and would have um, would have done something more so, maybe. I don't know, but we're looking back, aren't we? You're with the Red Agenda. Thanks for listening. I'm Steve Hothersall, Kiva O'Neill, Simon Hughes uh, on today's um, pod. site. Si, you'll love this one. Is, is there such a thing as a special Anfield night when you've got no fans in there? No. <laughs> I mean, you know, Kiva referred earlier to sort of the first leg being played in the training ground. Is there really any difference with this second leg at Anfield in terms of it playing in Anfield? No, certainly not. I mean, it's, it's just... Is there? Without, but, but, but actually, the press will hook on to this. Yeah, without, without people in there, it, it, it's just an empty building, essentially, isn't it? Um, so, I mean, I, other than not having to travel and being, I suppose, familiar with the process of playing a home game... Um, I actually think it could, can be a disadvantage sometimes, you know, the home games at the moment. I'm not surprised that some of Liverpool's more um, convincing performances have been away from home. And the better performances at home have been when they've had a couple of thousand fans in there, which does make a difference, I think. I mean, I'm not saying players stand around, like, sort of looking at the terraces and wondering what it would be like if, if, if things were different. But I do think it, it has an impact. I mean, when I think back to... Obviously, Andy, Andy Robertson gave the interview post-match last night and he was very honest. I mean, he said it, it's not, not an excuse, but I, I often think back to the moment when I, I think he actually became a Liverpool player where people sort of accepted him as a Liverpool player and that was against Man City when he, he chased after, I think it was Man City's left-back across the other side of the pitch and the whole of Anfield went absolutely bananas, you know, trying to you know, show him their appreciation for that moment and from from then on, you know, he, he was a, a, a regular in the Liverpool team and became, you know, grew in confidence game by game by game. And it's it's those little moments, I think, that, that just sort of give players a bit of confidence and, and give the team that little extra edge. And it's difficult to quantify, I think. It, it's, it's almost impossible to quantify what it means, but I'm absolutely convinced it does have a major impact. Whichever team you happen to support, I mean, I know fans are saying, well, you know, some of the fans of other teams have said, well, it hasn't affected us so much, but that sort of rules out the idea that the fan bases are different and people react differently to, to moments that happen in the game. So, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, they, they might as well play the game up at the academy on, on Wednesday and, and just see how they get on. <laughs> to get their own back on them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the players in this Madrid side, they just boast far too much experience and knowledge, don't they? We go back to what we were saying at the start, Kiva. If you look at the number of games they've played in the competition, there's just something that goes around Real Madrid. It's it's so hard to see that they'll let this position slip in a second leg. Yeah, I think it was mentioned last night on BT's commentary. I think nine players have, have played, I think, over 270 games, which just shows, you know, what a, a dynasty it's been uh, for, for Real Madrid. You know, they haven't always bossed in La Liga, obviously the reigning champions at the minute, and they're in... You know, a fight to to retain the title with El Clasico coming up at the weekend. I'm sure we'll all be watching that with with less stress than we watched last night. But like I mentioned earlier, it's it's in the badge of Real Madrid, isn't it? it? Doesn't sort of matter who is sort of playing for them in a way. Obviously, we know they've got those quality players there: um, Modric, Casemiro, you know, Benzema, 
you know, you can go from back to front. And I think what they've done really well is when they've put younger players in like Vinicius and then he got replaced by Rodrigo, who's another 20-year-old Brazilian. You know, they, they know how to sort of bring players through but keep that sort of spine of the experience there. And I think as well, it just sort of shows how good of a coach Zinedine Zidane is. Obviously, you know, he won three, three on the trot, didn't he? And no one expected them to do that in a way. I know that sounds crazy, but, you know, Real Madrid aren't the force maybe they once was, even like quite recently. You know, we know they had Ronaldo for a large part of that and, you know, he was the main man, wasn't he? But I don't think people expected them to do back-to-back like they did and they completely dominated. And I don't think it should ever be a surprise for Real Madrid to put in performances like they did last night. And it wouldn't be a surprise for them to just do the same at Anfield. Um yeah, just on the point Simon made about obviously Robertson endearing himself to the Liverpool fans against Man City all those years ago. He did the exact same at Anfield against Barcelona when he pushed Messi to the floor quite early on. You know, no one really, the referee, you know, didn't see it or whatever, but everyone in Anfield seen it. And that was the moment Liverpool, you know, that comeback was happening. You know, whether Barcelona liked it or not, that push was, you know, everything. And Last night, Liverpool, you know, the lessons that, they, that they've been using for the past three years since, um, you know, the Kiev final in 2018, they just didn't didn't use that against those the, the team that had taught them, you know, the dark arts almost. Right. Uh, it's not just Liverpool's senior pros that lost their heads after last night. Uh, James Pearce has done just that as well. He was meant to be joining us from the start of the podcast, but he went out for a walk with, uh, with the dog. We know he's got a zoo at home and um, lost his key. He's finally joined us. Oh, James. Morning, Steve. I do apologise yeah. to everyone. Well, that's right. I know you'd have been in a bit of a tiz after last night. So you, you lost your key. You finally got in the house anyway to, yeah, to fair, join the Reddit. My my performance this morning was as bad as Liverpool's in that opening 45 minutes. It was uh, just as shambolic to yeah take the dog for a walk and come home to find I'd lost the front door key and, uh, and couldn't get back in the house. So I had to retrace my steps found it in the exact spot where I obviously had lent down, bent down to put the dog's lead back on. And um, yeah, I'm here for the second half. And, and Simon was telling me it was just a convenient excuse to, uh, to avoid the podcast today. <laughs> but, okay. Steve, Steve, we've done that many bleak inquests into where it's gone wrong this season. I, I'm, uh, I, I, I didn't have an issue with doing another one. Okay, well, well, we've covered um, quite a few of the points, but we'll dive into a couple of subsections, if you like. We haven't talked at length about Naby Keita and I know you've written about him um, on The Athletic so people can check that out now it's look his Liverpool journey's been a tough one only only flashes of the player that we expected he's given that chance to start against Madrid and hooked on 42 minutes and look I think you could see after 15-20 minutes he was it was just not happening for him where is the future for Naby we're three years in James yeah and I think that's the most worrying thing isn't it we're having the same conversations now about Naby Keita as we were having two years ago you know you know how much more time do you give him I think we probably all talked about how the season was going to be make or break for him you know the the third the third year he had to kick on and he hasn't and it's it's been the same story hasn't it little flashes of brilliance tight you know small little spells when you think okay you know Naby Keita's now arrived at Liverpool he gives he gives the midfield something a bit different. He has that ability to go past players and and create. Yet you know, it's never sustained. It's either you know either an injury or an illness comes along, or 
you know, a, a really poor performance and and he, and he isn't able to put together any kind of momentum. And um, yeah, you do wonder how many more big opportunities he's going to get in a Liverpool shirt, having squandered that one in, in Madrid last night, because um, you know, I, I must admit, I was absolutely amazed when the team sheet dropped. I think like most people, I was expecting a, a midfield three of, of Fabinho, Wijnaldum, Thiago, you know, listening to Klopp before the game, I could, you know, you could see his logic in terms of Cater does give you high energy. He's probably a bit more dynamic than Thiago, but it just didn't work, did it? It was, you know, he was so you know, sloppy in possession, didn't really track runners, didn't block passing lanes, didn't press as well as Liverpool really needed him to. I mean, there was a lot more wrong than just Naby Keita, but, you know, he was symptomatic of, of everything that, that went so awry in that first half. I know this isn't about the individual himself, but is, is there anything worse, do you think, than being hooked in the first half as a professional footballer? I mean, it's humiliating, isn't it? The fact that the fact that Klopp didn't even feel as if he could give it another three minutes and and make the change at half time, which you know probably would have saved Cater uh, a fair bit of embarrassment. But no, it was. I mean, you could see that Klopp felt uneasy talking about it when he was asked about it after the game and. You know, I did wonder whether whether he might try and say that there was some kind of fitness issue there, but he didn't. You know, he held his hands up and said it. No, it was just tactical. Um, but you know, you, you could see the difference it made straight away. You know, the the improvement in the second half. And yes, it was a collective improvement. It wasn't just down to the substitution. But you know, Thiago gave Liverpool a measure of calm and and a bit of control that just wasn't there during that chaotic opening forty five minutes. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Let, let's go from Naby to Trent. We, we spent a fair bit of time on the podcast last week talking about Trent and his, his England snob. Um, of course, then he put in a great performance against Arsenal, Si, and, you know, the narrative then is, wow, he's, he showed Gareth Southgate what he's all about, and look at that cross that Jota's headed home, and how on earth can you leave him out? And then we see the Madrid game again. Is it, look, every kick of the ball that he makes between now and the end of the season is going to be ultra-analysed, isn't it? I feel a bit sorry for him in, in some ways. I think... If Gareth Southgate does plan to use him in the future, I think it's particularly bad management, really, in some ways, because it's it's allowed a lot of, I think, unfair criticism of him. I mean, people question his, his sort of his defensive capabilities. Now, his whole game the last sort of three, four years, as obviously the emphasis has been on his on his on his attacking threat. Okay, I don't think he's as as solid or 
I suppose dynamics the wrong words when you, you're talking about the defence, but I, I don't think maybe he's, he's quite as convincing defensively as he is going forward, but that doesn't make him a bad defender. And it just feels like now, you know, a lot of people, because because that message from Southgate's being almost mismanaged, I, I think. I don't think Gareth Southgate wants to admit that really he just wants somebody at right back. Put it this way, he doesn't want to play the same way for England that, he, that Liverpool do. He's asking for different things out of his right back. So that might involve a bit more defensive cover. If he'd have been honest about that, I think it would have avoided all this conversation. And I think people may have understood it a bit more. But as it, as it is, it sounds like, hey, well, he's, he's had a bad season, which which he, he had a, a, a difficult start for understandable reasons because he had COVID. And then obviously he had, had an injury against Man City just as he was picking up. He had a bad night at Southampton. But then since then, he, when he has played, he's been one of Liverpool's best players. OK, last night he, he made... A mistake for the goal for one of the goals, but you know that was that was not just him. It was it was a poor performance generally by Liverpool, where Liverpool weren't on it. I couldn't say a single player last night played to the capacity that they can from the goalkeeper up to the centre forward. So you know that that again gives a lot of people the ammunition to sort of have a pop on him, and everybody likes to sort of, particularly in this country, build people up and then see them knocked down. And I, I just think that he's getting a lot of criticism at the moment. I mean. It, I saw Liverpool just put up a statement about some of the racist comments directed to him and Naby Keita. I mean, it's, it's just appalling. The whole conversation about him is being lost and it's just given a lot of bad people ammunition to to say things that they shouldn't be saying. So again, I mean, at this time, I think he, he's a player who would benefit from the, from the crowd being there. I think a lot of a lot of times, you know, sort of players in, in, the, in the more recent times have tended to see things through social media and how people are viewed there. But when they get back inside the ground and hear the support from the fans, they remember that they're the people that count the most, really, in terms of how they perform. And I feel sorry for him that he doesn't have that at the moment, that sort of backing. All he'll be seeing at the moment is probably a lot of criticism on social media, some of it disgusting. And, you know, Liverpool fans trying to defend him, but knowing that he hasn't performed as well. But I don't know a single player that, that, that has played for Liverpool for a long period of time that hasn't had these little dips. And given what happened to him at the start of the season, given that he had COVID, given that he then picked up an injury, it's understandable that he hasn't been at the level that he was. But I'd still say that he, if, if you can get the best out of him, he's, he's, he's the best right-back I've ever seen play for Liverpool. So, yeah, the conversation around him has just totally lost, lost sense of any balance, I think, at the moment. Yeah, you're so spot on with everything you say. Playing for England will be important for him, though, you know, and he would want to be included in this in this Euro side. Kiva, you'll have seen the the conversation between Neville and Carragher, and Neville was asked, "What well, you know? Why would Southgate not include him in the side?" And Neville said, "I think that this was his reading of it. He basically said, "Well, look, if we get to a, a quarters or semis, we'll be playing a, a big gun at that stage. And would you really want Trent at right back, or would you trust Trent?" at right back in, in one of those situations. Would you? I think you would. It just feels like a recent thing that everyone's now criticising his defensive skills. Like, I don't think this is, you know, when he had Van Dijk, you know, right next to him and, and Gomez in a normal defence. Obviously, Fabinho hasn't been able to be sort of the shield as he as well. And that's affected him a lot this season, as well as the reason sort of Simon discussed there. But I don't know, you trust a player who's who's won a Premier League and battled out for 
the Premier Leagues before that and, and won the Champions League, wouldn't you? You know, how many England players can say that they've done that? Not all of them, you know, to have won both of those trophies. I think the conversation has got really quite dark and bitter at the minute. I feel like it's Liverpool versus England and it's just become a part of social media. Like, I'm I'm just not enjoying it um, at all. And I think, you know, Simon sort of touched on it there. I think Gerard did mention that this was sort of, he sort of hinted that it was bad management from Southgate and other people had mentioned that as well. But I think he'll be sat now thinking, I massively regret doing this in a way because the way it's affected Alexander-Arnold, yeah, okay, against Arsenal, it affected him in a good way. But again, against Real Madrid and now it's likely to, you know, affect him in a bad way. And, you know, obviously managers have to make decisions. We know that. But, you know, he is one of the best right-backs in the world. He's been the best right-back in the world for the last couple of years. But, yeah, it's, it's just not enjoyable at the minute, I don't think. And hopefully, you know, I know Trent's got good people around him, but he needs to just switch off his phone and, and focus on his football and, and not listen to all this sort of circus now, which is following him. Because, I don't know, it's it's just getting a little bit out of hand, isn't it now? Yeah, he needs good people around him. James, it, it's impossible for him to get away from it, this conversation. Look, he could turn his telly off, not listen to the radio, not listen to, to podcasts, but... It, it does feel a little bit unfair on Trent at the moment. Yeah, ma- massively unfair. And um, I think, as as Simon said, I think it does stem from... I just think Southgate handled it very badly from the start in terms of... It, it's pretty clear to me that it comes down to style and how Southgate wants to play. And, you know, he and he wants the experience and the... And probably, you know, the... Just being a bit more pragmatic, I think, and having someone like Trippier in his squad... Than, than someone really bold and attacking like Trent. So and I don't know why he didn't just come out and said, said that it was a style thing rather than, I think, by Southgate coming out and saying it, Trent hasn't been the player he, we know he can be in recent months. I just think that then sparked all this off and then Klopp then was always going to come out and defend his player yeah. and, and obviously came out and said, you know, I respect Southgate, but I just do not understand his decision. And then, of course, we're now in a situation where every time Trent does something great, people will say he's made a mug of Southgate. And when he, when he makes a mistake, people will be saying, well, that's exactly why Southgate hasn't picked him, which is ludicrous. I mean, even, even last night, you know, he, the, as, you know yes, he made a, a really bad mistake for Madrid's second goal. But he also made a goal-saving interception tackle in that second half when a Liverpool corner somehow turned into a two-on-one, three-on-one breakaway when he when he saved a certain goal. And and I think the other thing that sometimes gets lost is when he gets accused of being a bad defender, which he's not, because you know, if you think back to, you know, this is a this is a lad who as a teenager kept Ronaldo pretty quiet in the Champions League final three years ago and did a job on Leroy Sane when Liverpool battered Man City in the knockout stages of the Champions League. But also he, he plays the way his manager asks him to play. So when people complain about the space left in behind, that is the way Liverpool play. That's not that's not Trent just abdicating the defensive responsibilities. That's him playing to orders because that is the style of play that the fullbacks play high. So um so that that was an issue against Real Madrid in the first leg, but not because of Trent. It was because there wasn't enough pressure on the ball in the centre of midfield. That was where Liverpool lost the game. And Trent was almost a victim of that in, in my mind, because, um, you know, I think it was Asensio, there were some quotes from him knocking around afterwards when he said that was our game plan. He said, you know, to, to try and knock those balls in behind the fullbacks. 
And if you're going to have fullbacks high, then you 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 have to have pressure on the ball in the centre of the park. And Liverpool didn't have that. And aside from the football, and Simon mentioned it, James, it's absolutely horrific that the players are receiving racist abuse on on social media. Brentford's Ivan Tony, of course, a couple of days ago. Now Trent as well. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's just so grim, isn't it? And it is. It does seem to be like a daily occurrence at the moment. And and the social media companies, you know, they've got to take a long hard look at themselves because it is absolutely pathetic the the lack of action that they take. I mean, I think we've all seen it. If you if you dare tweet out or put on Instagram, a, you know, a clip of a goal, then within seconds it will get taken down because of you know, of the, of the rights and, and all the rest of it. And, you know, the, oh, you, you can't be doing that because, you know, that's someone else's intellectual property. Yeah, you know, you can say the most absolutely horrendously appalling things about people and, and it either doesn't get taken down or it takes an absolute age to be dealt with. And, um, yeah, I, I, do, I really do think we need to go down the route of people having to, you know, properly register for social media accounts because at the moment it's just absolutely horrific how easy it is for for sick people to to abuse people in the most despicable way it's the red agenda thank you very much for listening as always um james pierce finally here simon hughes keeper o'neill on the pod uh, we're going to talk a little bit about liverpool's um, ownership in the introduction of redbird capital now i've got to say because i need some clarity in my head si i think you're the man who probably understands how how all this knits together so lebron james and maverick carter are two guys who now, what, do they own 10% of Liverpool or how does it work? Well, yeah, I mean, they, they own a certain percentage of FSG, which obviously brings Liverpool into the equation. So um, we did an interview through one of our American reporters, Joe Varden, with Tom Werner, who said that, that naturally, if you own a certain amount of a company, you'll have a certain say in and what happens there. Um, but I think it may have got forgot, sort of lost a little bit as, as things tend to on the wonderful platform that is social media. The, you know, John Henry still owns the biggest chunk and uh, ultimately uh, all the final say really comes to, down to him. So there's still people within FSG who, who own bigger chunks of the company than than LeBron James, who who is still going to be more influential. I mean, I I think really there's a couple of reasons why this has happened. I mean, that they've they've been looking for many years, really, is it for a strategic partner, which dates back to sort of 2015, 16, and, and even before, really. I think that that's when things started to ramp up, and several trips to China, Middle East, uh, came up with nothing. I had conversations with people recently about like sort of what the terrain is like, I suppose, in the in the pandemic world and, and FSG see that as an opportunity for expansion and growth, um, which is essentially what they did when they bought the Boston Red Sox and when they bought Liverpool, you know, to, uh, well, certainly Liverpool were a distressed state when they bought them and the Red Sox were bought, were bought just after a, a recession in the US. So they were able to get something sorted with LeBron James, who's obviously been a, a minority shareholder for quite a long time now, somebody who's familiar with FSG. And I, I think that really what where he'll come into it is, first of all, FSG don't have a, an active sportsman involved in, in, in the organisation. I think he will hopefully help the owners of Liverpool uh, see 
sort of how sportsmen see things from, from a, in a very basic level. And then there's all the, the sort of the, the associated commercial opportunities of where sort of Liverpool brands can spread through the fame of LeBron James. I think that'll really sh- sort of crank up uh, over the next couple of years. So there are lots of different reasons why this has sort of happened. Um, but I mean, fundamentally, day to day, week to week, month to month, I, I don't see a great deal changing. Liverpool, I think the the uh, the policy of sort of um, I don't know. He, he just using the revenues this, of the, the club. He's just cool to, to live off them in, in the real economic world that they operate in will will remain the same. They're not going to be going and buying uh, breaking the bank to sign to sign sort of really really famous footballers. I think what they've done before will continue. And I mean, you know, in terms of when decisions are made, the biggest decisions. It's still the book still stops with um, with John Henry and Tom Werner and, and Mike Gordon. Uh, plenty more on that on a couple of articles on the Athletic um, at the moment. Thank you very much indeed, Sam Hughes, James Pierce. Eventually, after he found his house key and Kiva as well. Thank you. We will return after the second leg of the uh, Real Madrid quarterfinal, hopefully with some positivity. And uh, thank you very much for listening to the Red Agenda. Uh, tell your mates about it, and uh, we love any feedback on it. We'll see you in a week. The Athletic. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, I'm Adam Hurry and Football Clichés is the podcast you never knew you needed. Every week, to quite unnecessary depth, we examine the words, the phrases, the accepted wisdom, the mannerisms, the habits, the gestures, the symbols, the sounds and the smells that everyone takes for granted in football, but which really are the glorious glue that holds it all together. For example, have you ever really listened to the Football League goals roundups? I mean, really listen to them? Because they all sound pretty much like this. Team X went into this game with just one win in their last 13 and when Team Y took the lead inside four minutes at Stadium Z, the home fans were probably starting to fear the worst. But Striker A had other ideas and this game turned on its head in the space of five minutes midway through the second half. First, a smart finish from the edge of the box brought Team X level and he repeated the trick on the hour mark to bring his tally for the season to 22. By now, Team X were in the mood, and although striker A squandered a gilt-edged chance to complete his hat-trick, on-loan Dutchman winger B made it three with a curling effort from long range. Team Y's misery was compounded in stoppage time when midfielder C's late challenge on fullback D saw them reduced to ten men. An afternoon to forget for manager E's men then, but Team X will hope they have finally turned a corner under caretaker boss manager F. Listen to Football Clichés wherever you get your podcasts and also ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic.